Hi, this is uh, Eric Abitasis. I'm uh, the founder and CEO of uh, Humango. And um, this is the Greg Bennett Show. Welcome to the Greg Bennett Show. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And this was an incredibly insightful conversation with the CEO and founder of humango.ai with Eric Abacusis. This was just absolutely an amazing conversation where we talk AI, tech, sports, and triathlon. Absolutely loved it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. Right, today's guest is a world leader at the crossroads of technology and sport. From being a software engineer to pioneering a digital shift in sports training through AI, he's done it all. As the founder and CEO of humango.ai, that's humango.ai, he's transformed the way athletes train, leveraging cutting-edge artificial intelligence. His recent venture with Human Powered Health promises to further revolutionise how he perceives exercise as a tool for just overall well-being. I'm excited to dive deep into the world of sports, technology, triathlon, and IA, and potentially a lot more. So without further ado, welcome, and thank you for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Eric Abacusis. How are you, mate? Hi, great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. Oh. Another great day in Colorado here. <laughs> yes, you've, uh, you've just recently moved to Boulder the last few years, right? That's correct. Yeah. Five years in, in paradise. So, uh, I can't get enough of it. Uh, well, we, uh, I don't know if you know, but we were there for about 15 years and we actually left there in 2021, mainly because we've got a young family. We want to be near uh, my wife's family down here in Florida, but yeah, Boulder, Colorado is pretty outstanding place. You've been out for a run or a bike this morning? Uh, I've been for a, a run yesterday. I'm in the taper right now ah. for my next race. So just taking it easy, uh, <laughs> going, uh, Going easy for the next uh, next few days until until race day. What do you got? What do you got coming up? Uh, Mont-Tremblant. Uh, oh. Be one of the unfortunate happy few that will uh, run this course for the last time as they yeah. are uh, uh, stopping the the full the full distance. But I will be in Mont-Tremblant in uh, in ten days to race. Oh, very good. I think this episode should come out the day after you do race. So we'll have an idea how you went. Um, how's, how's the prep going? Has it been, has it been going well? I think it has been going well. Yeah. I believe that I'm probably in the, in the best shape ever. So hopefully everything will stay that way for race day. We'll oh, see. Oh, very good, mate. I love it. And, and Boulder, you, so you've moved to Boulder. Obviously we know it as a, you know, an endurance hub. It's a great place for athletes to train. There's, you know, all the support network in terms of, you know, bodywork people and great nutrition and all of that. But is it building as a, as a bit of a tech hub as well? Is that a reason to be there? I mean, the, the reason to be there, uh, and, and my wife will, will, uh, still does not believe me, uh, was really just because it was close to mountains. I didn't know about all these endurance things before <laughs> actually deciding to move to Boulder. Yeah. And, uh, but yes, indeed, it is, it is such a, a tech hub. I mean, you have uh, all the, the, the main uh, companies, whether it is Apple, Google, uh, Amazon. I mean, all all of them are in the in the surrounding of Boulder and, uh, mm-hmm. and somewhere between Boulder and Denver. So it's a really great place on on the technology side to be. To Love be. it. Love it. Well, before we dive into the the tech part of the show and and discussing Human Go, I I want to um, just get a little bit of an idea of your sort of progression into endurance sports. Um, you know, with the triathloning and and marathoning and and when did you sort of first discover this this part of your life? Yeah, so uh, the, the reality is that uh, when I was young, I mean, going as a, as a teenager and, and later, I was not in sport at all. I was very much nerdy. Uh, I was interested in science. Yeah. I was interested in literature, uh, somewhat in art, but sport was just not part of my world. So, um, so for the context of this episode, and I think talking about AI, I mean, when I was 15, I I read all the uh, Asimov robot series. I was a great fan of of Philip K. Dick. And uh, if uh, some some of you know, the Does Android Dreams of Electric Sheep, which was the the story that inspired Blade Runner. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was in in love with Marvin, the the partner uh, android from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Uh I mean, all of that is really from the 70s. And they were all talking about AI and artificial intelligence. And that's something that just fascinated me. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
And I was, um, I mean, I was playing with, with, um, coding, uh, and that was back in 78 and 79. Wow. It was a long, long time yeah, ago wow. before a computer <laughs> went mainstream, yeah. but I was lucky enough to have access to computer, learn, learn programming, uh, when I was three, 11, 12, uh, playing, writing my first program when I was 13. And, uh, so that's really the background was not exported at all. And, mm. I went naturally into computer science, graduated uh, with a PhD in the, in the early 90s. And the only connection with sport was, I mean, being a pathetic tennis player, maybe uh, <laughs> a decent ski, uh, ski descender. Uh, but running, I did that once before I was 30. Uh, and wow. that was a very strange experience <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and, uh, and then I met my wife and she was casually running. I picked it up and said, okay, maybe once a week I can uh, run with, with her. And we went on, on some runs. We were living in the south of France, which is beautiful. Mm. You run in the mm. middle of nature, fragrance of the plants, uh, aromatic plants around you, the, the snow cap of the Alps was quite beautiful. And, and all of that was just staying there until um, I was probably 2005, I think, 2004, 2005, I was just searching on the internet for some random stuff, interesting stuff. And I heard about this ultra distance running and that just hit a button for me. I was really like hearing a voice. This is what I want to do. And I had no clue, but it, this is what I want to do. And then I registered for a, a 60K run in the Alps, uh, which was my first serious race. <clears throat> and, uh, and I finished almost crawling. I mean, actually pretty much crawling. The last <laughs> <laughs> but, but that was not enough to, to deter me. So I signed up for 100K two months later. Uh, took me like more than 20 hours to complete. Uh, but that was a complete life-changing Mm. And, and that really was the start. I mean, and, and from that point on, I was completely hooked to endurance sport. Mm. And, um, and it's later in 2010 that a friend told me about crazy stuff called Ironman and triathlon. I've heard of it vaguely. Um, so I decided to follow him and we signed up both for Nice Ironman. Mm. Um, and um, so I just went to find the local master swim to learn how to swim because I didn't really wow. know. How, how old were you in 2010? Forgive me for asking, but I'm just curious when <laughs> no, you wanted to swim. I, I was, I was uh, 43 okay. uh, at that time. Good so, man, good and man. And then bought, bought a bike. Uh, so I went to REI and, and a couple <laughs> of other cho- shops to buy a basic road bike yeah, to start yeah. riding. And uh, before that, I didn't have a bike at home. So uh, only, only for the kids. Yeah. And, uh, and that's really how it started. And then, and then it's really the friendship. I mean, I, mm. uh, my training buddies, uh, I was back in France at the time. I trained with, uh, Poissy Triathlon and I met some fantastic people that are life, lifelong friends now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved back to Houston and, and found some great people there also with, uh, with a triathlon club. So the friendship is really what brought me to, to triathlon over yes. and above the, um, the the running and ultra running where where I really started. Mm. Um, so that's really where where that started, and, and yeah, I was, no, I was from that point. I, I'm with you. You know, uh, I don't know my my career in triathlon was a little earlier in sort of the mid '80s, and um, it really was the people. Um, you know, I say to people. Yeah, I, I like swimming, biking and running, but I don't love it. What I love is the people. And what I love is, you know, the ambitious side of me loves to try and win races. But I love the people. And that was largely why I even started this podcast three and a half, four years ago was because I just love the conversations with people in the endurance triathlon space. Um, so I get it. And that's what a journey that is. I love... The thing that's sticking with me is that you were coding in the late 70s. I think that's incredible. Um, you know, I, I just think that you've been you've been in this space for so long. I'm really looking forward in this conversation to sort of diving into, you know, what is AI and what is human go and everything else. So let's let's get cracking. Um, I want to firstly ask the the big question, um, and that is, what is human go? And what was the sort of primary catalyst behind its creation? Yeah, so um, from a professional uh, career standpoint, so I was moving the first part of my career was very technical, uh, very hands-on uh, in, in the coding world. 
And then I, I started to, to turn to more management um, and executive type of jobs. As I was growing, I was working for a big Fortune 500 company. And, and that change from being technical to becoming manager of bigger and bigger teams happened at the same time as I discovered sport. And what I experienced uh, was how much it was bringing me in my life um, uh, so it was something that completely changed the, the course of my life. And the more I was taking on uh, more stressful jobs and, and the more I was actually uh, cool and, and easy because, because I think of the sport was, was helping me. So it was one aspect is I, I really wanted to bring that to more people um, and be able to help more people to, to start on, on the path. That mm. was definitely a big, a big element. Um, the other kind of what I would call the initial spark for, for Umango was uh, 2018. So I went in that journey of, of uh, running and triathlon. It was my second qualification for Kona. I was excited uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about it. And I've been training really hard with, uh, with coaches um, for a few years at that point. Uh, but I was still commuting from Boulder to Houston, and that was really putting a lot of stress uh, on, wow. on my body. Yes. And I don't know if that's just an excuse for poor performance or with reality, but the, the fact that I crashed on, on, on Kona, being completely overtrained, I crashed with fatigue, I bulked completely. Mm, mm. And it was, uh, was a, a pathetic uh, race, probably one of my worst uh, race ever. I thought, okay, um, there must be something that we can do to help people understand the path and how to, to train better um, and using what I've been uh, using in my professional career and I've been passionate about since my youth around artificial intelligence and, and let's see how that could work. And mm. it just happened that at the same time in the, in the company I was working for, uh, we were uh, working on how to equip the, the geoscientists to understand subsurface data. And, and before, they were just managing data and graphs and were slicing and dicing through data. Mm. Um, and we moved that to, be, to start bringing to them prediction tools, mm-hmm. insight, mm-hmm. how to mm-hmm. transform data into insight, knowledge, and actions. And, and that was completely uh, transforming. And I thought, okay, if we can do that the same for, uh, for sports science and, and human performance, that would be beautiful. How mm. can I translate all this data? We have plenty of data, but how can I translate this data into something that can tell me what to do? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's really was the, the initial uh, spark for, for Humango. I, I, I love it. And it's, it's great to have someone like yourself, a pioneer in, you know, a passion for endurance sports, but also a very good understanding of this, you know, predictive um, machine learning tool of AI. I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I, I, I'm curious, you know, it's one thing to have an idea. You know, I think I've got about five business plans going right now. What have been some of the challenges that you've faced in, in basically turning this this vision into an actual tangible product, which you've done with reasonable speed, I might add, um, from from an idea to to getting going? Yeah, that has been a, a, a very challenging journey indeed, uh, uh, where you have to, to rethink yourself completely. I mean, I was living a well-paid job, yeah. uh, an environment where I, I knew everybody and everybody knew me. It was very comfortable. And I had to jump into this uh, unknown path. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was a lot of, I would say, a lot of hard work. Uh, but in that hard work, I was really blessed to have people around me that really helped me on that on that path in an incredible way. And that started by really the the people that I had around me at the time, so people who were working with me that really helped me a long way to get me started. I had to go back to coding. I <laughs> coding for about 25 years. There was a small gap that I had to fill. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I found a lot of people to support me and help me to, uh, to put me on the right track. Um, I met incredible people along the way uh, that joined me in this adventure um, because I think they've shared the passion and, and felt that we, we were capable of, of doing something that can transform uh, how people are at handling um, endurance sport. 
So that was really, I mean, I was blessed. I was blessed with people that helped me financially. I mean, it was also mm -hmm. uh, having the the people that can help you um, getting started also from the, from the financial side. Mm -hmm. and, and all of that, I, I think, really uh, happened uh, randomly in some ways. I mean, there's, it's hard for me to see any pattern there. Yeah. <laughs> it was really just embracing the fact that the best thing can happen. And if you're open enough to the best thing, uh, then those things will happen or enough of them will happen, I would mm. say, that, that you can keep going. And, um, and that's, I mean, so it's, it's a lot of hard work that the team really worked hard, um, to build that, uh, alongside with, uh, with what I was doing and, and what I was bringing, uh, there. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it was a very, very interesting and, and transformative journey. I mean, sport, I say was, was a first transformation in my life. Where, where I really moved from just being uh, an intellectual, technical person to, <laughs> to focus on my body. That was really this experience of, of uh, building this company was uh, rethinking who I am as, as a person and how I connect with other people and how I connect with random events that could happen to anyone and how if you are open enough to receive what life can send to you, uh, I mean, beautiful things can happen. Mm. I, I love that you threw yourself into the trenches, you know, that you, 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 you were the engineering team. Um, I, I think to, you know, for anybody listening and, and, and wanting to start a business, it, it really is about just getting, getting in there and getting dirty. And, and you went straight in there and found an outsourced friends to help you go back to coding, um, which is quite incredible. So how, how long did it take you from, you know, writing your first line of code or coming up with the, the very start to finding that minimal viable product or what's what we term the MVP in, in the sort of the tech space. Yeah. I, I see you're familiar with the term. <laughs> uh, it, it was, it was much longer than I was hoping for when I started, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Maybe that's, that's the, the fallacy of, of thinking that you can do things to uh, very quickly and mm. it turns out to, to take time. <laughs> I mean, it took us really, I will say, two years before we got something that was capable of generating good enough plan in enough situation that we believe, okay, now we really have something that uh, that we can uh, start to market. And it, I mean, it was early. I mean, yeah, yeah. Even two years was was still uh, very much. Uh, uh, crashing in some in many ways yes uh, but it's but, always but, it's better to launch and learn than to never launch at all you know exactly it's an interactive yeah. process yeah. and if you yeah. try it's very hard to try to address all the complexity up front mm. and thinking that you can solve all the different elements of, of parameters complexity that you're dealing with in one shot yes so if you iterate on it and and that's true for the company that's true for the technology that's true for software it gives you a chance of, of learning. And now you start from a, a more stable base. What was complexity turned into uh, um, knowledge? And now you can understand the, the missing gap and, mm. and address that next missing gap. Yeah. Hey, I'm curious though, you know, you started working on this before OpenAI released their, you know, chat GPT. And, and we're seeing hundreds of, you know, third-party apps being every day coming out onto the market since, well, what was it, November, October last year. But you were already working on on this prior to all of that, right? Yeah, so we, we started, uh, I mean, the, the origin of the idea was really in 2018, as I, as I mentioned. It was yeah. very exploring and, and trying to find our way. I think in 1920, we started to land on an approach now, AI is a uh, is is a broad field, and uh, and I think what uh, what made an impact with ChatGPT is how people started to perceive how it could have an impact in their life. I mm -hmm. think before it was it was very abstract, yes. and, and ChatGPT was the first time that now you start to interact with an, an AI mm -hmm. in in a way that seems to be almost natural, mm -hmm. and, and that is very much changing the game. I mean, it's a mm. absolutely phenomenal milestone for all the good and the bad that it contains. Yes. So yes. I think that 
it is it is challenging as a, as a civilization, but it also has a, a huge potential. Well, before we jump into, I'm going to do two things here. Um, one, I want to talk about uh, explaining what Human Go is for our listeners that are unfamiliar with it. Um, but then I, after that, we'll, I want to just talk about what is AI. AI. Um, but let's talk about Human Go first, um, because this is fascinating what you've been putting your, you know, the last several years into with your team. It really is an amazing product. Tell us more about what is Human Go in a nutshell. Yeah, so at its core, um, what, what Humango does is really delivering individualized and adaptive training plans. So uh, from the user standpoint, you set your goals, you set your availability, you set your fitness, either from historical data or from an estimate. If you don't have historical data, you set your threshold or you let the system guess it from, from past data. And, and then uh, Higo or AI uh, will generate the, the plan. Mm. Now, what's really interesting is when you look a little deeper into it, um, how things are happening without disclosing too many secrets here. But um, so you set your race goals and, and your goal is going to generate a periodized training. And each uh, phase in your, uh, in your training, whether it is a base, build, taper, and so on, is associated with the race it's targeting and define a training strategy. Mm -hmm. So that's sport distribution, if it's a single sport, multi-sport, energy distribution, how we're going to hit the different energy subsystem and stimulate that. Uh, I mean, typical duration of workout, typical category of workout, but actually no workouts itself. We're really defining a strategy there. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then you have the ability in the system to uh, set your availability all the way down to on Tuesday, I want a run session, but I want maximum 45 minutes or an hour. So you can specify each day, which sport you can practice, how long, t- how much time do you have? Mm-hmm. And you can do that um, as a, a routine level. Uh, that's my typical week. And you can do that as exceptional event. Like I'm traveling, I'm with my, fam- I'm with my family, mm-hmm. I have some work commitments or I have an injury and that will adjust. You can tell the system how many run bikes swim you want how many hours you want to train per week. Of course, it will provide you feedback if you're in the right ballpark based on your goal. I mean, mm-hmm. if you do one bike, one swim, one strength, one run for an Ironman, that might be a little strong. <laughs> it's going to say, hey, uh, hey, <laughs> hey, mate, you could, yeah. <laughs> you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, but it's providing you some, some feedback and yeah. guidance, but yeah. you can still configure. I mean, whether you want four run or three run, whether for a certain block you want to go down to two run and focus on the swim, mm. those things that you can tell uh, uh, the system. Mm-hmm. And then it, it is using coach science. Uh, Hugo knows certain rules of what uh, of do's and don'ts on how to build a plan. Mm. And then it will use your fitness to understand how to push you enough, but not too much when it's time to recover and, and give you a break. Mm-hmm. And then it's also understanding what you have done uh, could that be different from the plan? And, and, you know, often it is. I mean, life gets in the way and you do things a little bit different. Or what you're planning to do if you want to go on this uh, ride with your buddy uh, on Saturday instead of what your coach is telling you. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty. It takes all these elements and really generate a, a training plan that will fit all these constraints. And that's what the AI is doing, is searching within the, the space of possible solution. Uh, what is a really good plan that will meet all these criteria, your Mm -hmm. goal, your training strategy, your availability, uh, meeting what you've done and what you're planning to do and and coach coach fitness science, let's say, to to build a plan. That's really where the essence of of Humango uh, is. That's what we're really doing in a, I believe in a different way from, from what has been done uh, so far. Mm. And for recreational athletes, that's a huge benefit because now they control their, their plan. They control the fact that when they are off track, they can go back on track because the plan will recalculate and readjust. Like it's rebuilding an entirely customized plan for you uh, if there is a, a deviation from what was the original plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I, I have so many questions right now. <laughs> I, I, first, firstly, congrats. It's amazing. I love it. I love the idea um, and the concept and that, that it's actually to the point that it's a physical thing that any of us can download. Um, when, when you've laid out your plan and, and you're on your way, the inputs that you want to have along the way, is it able to collect data, say, from your Whoop or your Aura Ring or your Garmin uh, in terms of getting a sense of what's working or not working? Or is the input – How? I guess it's the question, what kind of input does a person have uh, along the way? So you, you're able to provide, indeed, um, uh, health data from uh, your Whoop or Aura Ring or, or, or Garmin. And that will be integrated into uh, assessment of, of fatigue that goes along the way. There is um, a qualitative feedback that you can provide on a, on a daily basis or uh, how do you feel in the morning or after an activity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that will have a, an impact on how to uh, readjust the plan or add some, uh, some recovery time if it seems that you're pushing and you're hitting the, the, the fatigue uh, too much. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the main thing that we are doing today because one of the challenges and, and that we, we faced that when we started is how can I predict performance before you actually uh, deliver it? Mm-hmm. And, and that is um, a, a very interesting problem and a very complex problem. When I started running, People were looking at the way I was running once a week and saying, "Oh, but it seems to be running pretty well. I mean, maybe maybe you can you can do uh, quite good." And it turns out that on my second marathon, I was able to to reach the three hours uh, um, target. Mm-hmm. And but there was no way to really predict that until until I do it because the, the body is a very complex machine, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. how can I detect that? So. What we're trying to do in the, in the plan is to keep you on, on, on your toes based on uh, a certain uh, coaching strategy while still being a little conservative. There are ways you can dial that up if you really want to be more aggressive with yourself. Typically, we're trying to be a little conservative, but within this conservative approach, we're trying to push you um, to, to get the right training, stimulate the different, uh, the different training, um, um, zones and, and so on and monitor when you are reaching a point where a break that might not have been planned for is probably required to give you, uh, time for, uh, recovering and, and readjusting. And we all know that you're improving when you're recovering, not when you're training. So mm-hmm. this is, this is really the focus of, of what we're doing. Yeah. In the future, there will be continue, imp- continuous improvement where we will uh, account for more and more information. But I think it's already putting the people in, in a very good track yes. if, they, if they are setting the, the right uh, context. I mean, not the one run, one bike for preparing for the Ironman, which obviously they will get a feedback that it's mm. not. I mean, I I, I can see the future for you. I mean, there's so many ways it can go from collecting all forms of health data, blood work and everything else to to even having a snapshot of your biomechanics and giving you feedback on run stride and everything else. I I don't know how much of that you have or whatever, but I kind of think of a tool like this as, you know, having the coach in your pocket um, type mentality where it's always analyzing and giving you more feedback so it can help predict how you're going to perform. Um, it really is incredible. And you, and you mentioned Hugo, which I love as a name, you know, I think, you know, obviously short for human go, but Hugo is, as your AI assistant, how much does having a Hugo, not just AI working, but a Hugo, uh, at the front, how much does that help the experience for a user? So what, what we've observed uh, very interestingly is, how uh, Hugo can start creating some level of accountability with um, someone who is not a human. So there would be no uh, judgmental aspect involved in, in that. And, and that, that's very interesting to see how people are, are reacting to, to that. Um, they want Hugo to be happy <laughs> mm. uh, about what they're doing. And that is becoming a motivation. But in case Hugo is not happy, it's, it's still not a person, so it's not too problematic. So, but it's, it's kind of this fine line, and that's, that's, we found that quite 
quite interesting mm. uh, in how the people are, are reacting. Now, today, our implementation, and that's, uh, that's the, the trade-off of being early. So if we're early, it means that you're, you're behind at some point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we, when we started the first implementation of, of Hugo as a, as a chatbot, we were using a technology that was very advanced at the time, um, two, three years ago, mm. uh, called Dialogflow from Google. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it, it turns out that, uh, it, it feels like, uh, antiquity now compared to what chat <laughs> It's moving do. fast, right? <laughs> <laughs> As you mentioned. So, uh, so actually we'll have, uh, we'll have very soon, uh, a new Hugo coming that will use, uh, technology like chat GPT to, uh, to interact, to do the same thing, but in a more fluid way. Um, so we hope that that will add, but uh, to the to the value prop that we are providing. But Hugo already is providing you feedback, analyzing all your data and your performance, and, and that is already creating this um, accountability loop that we've observed with uh, with with people using Humango. So very interesting to observe. It is interesting. I've played around with a few of the third party apps out there. I think Pi is the most. Uh, emotionally intelligent one I've sort of felt with, um, especially when you turn on a voice. I think my wife thinks I'm having some kind of affair as she listens to all my problems. But it's, um, you know, even at uh, any question, you know, the company that, that I founded with with my business partner, Ed Baker, and people that listen to the show know all about it. But, you know, we've, we've had to transition the company tremendously um, and, and focus on using AI. We now use AI to, to interview uh, you, the, the creator and it's opened up to everybody now to be a creator and, and it uh and, and and it's been fun using it in a way which collects you know you, but you get asked a question you just answer it via video or, or and audio um and then it says hey that was a great answer you know here's another question you should consider and and then from that it, it you know it gives you all your social media posts um but anyway that that's the company we've been building but it's been fascinating to implement uh, the, these chatbots, which are becoming more and more, I'll say emotionally intelligent rather than human. I think there's still a long way to go for the human side, but it is, it's fascinating to watch. And I think this is a good place to segue a little bit over to sort of understanding what this technology is. Um, and I think you're probably the best person I've ever had on this show to really explain what AI is, what is artificial intelligence, what does it mean? Um, and then we can kind of talk about how we think it might be revolutionizing sport and other areas. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we hear a lot about AI and there's a, a lot of noise, um, a, a lot of blurring the lines between what traditional software development is and, and what AI is. Um, and it, it is uh, it is quite magical, but it's not yet a, a magic one that can do everything. So, in, in traditional software development, uh, you basically write a set of instruction that in, in simplistic way will be executed one after the other. Uh, it's not exactly happening like that, but I think as a simplified view, that's enough. And so the, the computer or the, the, the CPU um, is really performing this task more or less in that sequence, and that leads to a result. So you basically give a recipe um, to the to the computer and the computer execute the recipe and you hope to have a, a good meal at the end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, when you look at AI, uh, AI is um, a set of tools where this time you don't tell the computer uh, how to do things, but you basically describe the result and, and you hope that this uh, smart engine will figure the way to get there. <laughs> um, so that's that's a fundamental change. It's really you are starting from uh, from data. So typically, yes, learning from from data uh, to understand uh, how things are working. It will detect patterns, and and from that, now when you tell what you want, it's gonna it's gonna um, find the, the way to to get there. So. There are a number of AI algorithms that can be used, and each is really specialized in certain class of problem. Uh, the one we are hearing the most, because uh, it was really uh, a big milestone in AI, is machine learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not the same thing. There are more things in AI than machine learning, but machine learning is definitely uh, a, a great uh, a great tool in the in the toolbox. Mm. So machine learning is really a way to recognize a pattern. 
from data and then be able to predict an outcome uh, based on a certain number of input parameter. So um, if you if you train um, this machine learning to detect, let's say, for a, a simple a simple thing, a power output from a, from a certain number of, of um, uh, parameters, like uh, what what pace are you going and what uh, um, uh, velocity uh, acceleration you're putting, what's the, what's the slope, uh, what's the rolling resistance. I mean, you can put as many parameters as you want, and it, it will give you some sort of, of uh, prediction of what's the, the power without telling the system what's the formula to calculate the, mm. the power from the from all these um, uh, other elements. Um, so that's at a high level. Now, I, I, I really would like to uh, spend some time explaining some of the challenges with, with machine learning. Yes. Um, so one of the challenges with machine learning is if you try to predict something that the machine learning has never seen, it will fail in, in incredible ways that it feels so <laughs> stupid. And it cannot explain why it reached that result. So you're going to get, oh, for that condition, this rider should uh, uh, put a power, uh, will produce a power output of uh, 25,000 watts. And, and the machine will feel comfortable saying that because it has no clue that 25,000 watts <laughs> are probably a little too much for what you can produce. Yeah. And, and that is because if we are trying to get some result on a, a range of data that I've never seen, have been never seen by the machine learning, it will make up a result. It will not admit that it doesn't know, so to speak. And that's one of the big challenge that, uh, that we have with, with machine learning is when we are going off track, it's becoming wild and then it's, it's can give you any, anything. Mm. The, the other element in the, the challenge of, of machine learning is to know what is the right set of parameters that you use and, um, and how to know what's the, what's the truth. So to take an example, I mean, you can predict what's going to be your performance on, on this ride with all kind of training data. But if you add uh, uh, really a lot of stress at work or an argument at home, mm -hmm. that might have a big impact in your performance. And, mm -hmm. But unfortunately, that was not uh, part of the equation. So then it will again fail and I'm using extreme example, but it's um, it's something that it's going to be very difficult for the machine learning to, are we really predicting something? Or in fact, there are other parameters that are not included in the training that have a big impact on the result. Mm. And therefore, what we're doing is randomizer. <laughs> we're predicting a random result based on um, presumable uh, uh, pattern, but in fact, uh, there is no real pattern, but the machine learning will always think it finds a pattern, and that's that's a challenge. But and, um, and the last one is really that uh, when we are inputting a lot of information in the in the ML to train, we can also bring some bias. So let's say you're a coach and you believe that the most important element in predicting performance is this or that. You will put uh, you will put um, uh, that parameter in in a way that it's gonna it's gonna have a, a higher level of prediction of the result. I mean, the machine will adjust the weight and and will try to temper that to some extent. But you can still, in the way you are presenting the information to the machine learning, introduce bias in what's going to be the uh, the output result. Mm -hmm. So. It is, it is a complex machine, and the, more, the main challenge is that it's very difficult to understand how it's reaching the result. And sometimes it can be good, and sometimes it's not. And <laughs> we've seen in many, many situations, more situations where ML failed to solve a problem uh, rather than where ML was actually solving the problem. So it's a very good tool, and it's, it's a lot of application, but it's definitely not a magic wand that can solve everything. Oh, I, 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 um, I can imagine all the debugging you've had along the way of um, <laughs> going, hang on, that doesn't seem right. Um, but getting to the point that it's launched and ready for the market. Um, firstly, congratulations, because that is a lot of, I'm sure you guys have been through going, hang on, what happened here? But I mean, you touched on something earlier and, uh, you know, when, when we were racing, I, I would say to my wife, you know, oh, this guy's fallen in love or he's falling in love. He's going to be a threat. 
and then you'd have the one going through, you know, bad relationship and, you know, it doesn't matter how fit you are, it's going to, and, and that emotional, that the human element of emotion I think will be the last area that AI can kind of really grasp and and it'll figure that out though. I think the more that you can work with your AI tool, uh, the more it's going to understand you and your emotions and it'll start being better at predicting um, but it's still a fascinating I do have a question where does where does human go get its data from is it collected all from your original inputs so when it comes to coaching and giving the right training plans is it just coming from within your own data or is it accessing the entire you know web so at the moment it's actually uh, using your own data um, so we are um, detecting pattern and understand from your data. Uh, so what what seems to be the, the right profile for you, and and that's why sometimes uh, simpler is better. Yeah. Um, I, I love what one of my friend uh, told me this story. If if you try to build a, a, a machine learning engine that's going to predict uh, what's going to be the number at the roulette and try to predict that with 99% chance of success, you're probably going to fail. I mean, the, you're going to create a machine learning that will just hallucinate all the time and, and produce a completely crap result. <laughs> but if you, if you try to build now uh, an engine that is capable of predicting with 51% what's going to be the right number, you can define a strategy that can leverage that and you still make you a billionaire. Mm. And, and that's very important because in the way you're framing the problem, you can either get enough, good enough results that will be uh, consistent enough that you can lead to a path that is directionally right versus trying to be too precise and fail because then all these challenges that I describe in the machine learning will get in the way. And, and what you think is a fantastic prediction engine is actually a fantastic randomizer producing mm. random results. Mm. So that's where we've been um, trying to add complexity where it makes sense, but also trying to be simple enough so we can rely with uh, a certain a good level of accuracy on what's going to be the outcome. So mm. I prefer to have directionally right and be able to derive a strategy from that than trying to be very exact, but most of the time wrong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, you know, we, we, with, you know, we've been talking a lot about the tech um, and AI. How, how is human go kind of striking a balance between tech and the human touch? You know, I think that's sort of a debate that, that's ongoing here. Have, have you found, how, how are you able to incorporate the, the human experience as well as the tech? Yeah, that's, that's a, a, a very, a very essential aspect. So first, I would like to take that opportunity to, um, to clarify one thing that might not have come across so clearly so far, is that the way we build the, the engine, it's really to help at scale uh, the people to to train, but it's also designed in a way that it can be a coach assistant for the coach. Because mm -hmm. um, in the relationship with your coach, I mean, the, the human element is essential. I, I want my coach to motivate me. I want my coach to inspire me. I want my coach to be able to um, help me going over a, a difficult time and, and, and bounce back. Um, all, all of that is not something that the, the AI will do, at least not for another, another while. Mm -hmm. So this relationship uh, with your coach is actually something we believe that this kind of technology will help reinforcing rather than, um, than, than uh, impacting in a negative way. So fair enough. Maybe uh, a, a grumpy uh, coach uh, crunching data uh, somewhere in a remote place that you never hear from will probably be uh, replaced with this kind of tool. But most of the coaches are actually engaging in a relationship with the athlete. And that's where we, we believe that there will be this value. So striking the balance, this was an essential element to think, yeah, the AI allows more people to be able to get in the sport. But when you get to the next level, you need the, the, the support of, of a real coach 
And that's why we wanted to include that uh, part of the part of the, the solution that we are building. The, the other dimension is, I mean, really something that was very important for me at the beginning was I, I hated when people were telling me, oh, I cannot train with you because I have my plan and I need to do this training and, and we cannot go on a run or a bike together. And I was feeling that, oh, that's something that we should be able to do better. We should be able to find a way that we can go on a training together and the rest of your plan will adjust based on that. Mm. Um, so that's also something that we built in the platform, accounting for, as I said, what you've done and what you're planning to do. So you can go out. So for teams, let's say, that means that you can be part of a team uh, or club. You can go with uh, the team training mm. uh, workout on Tuesday and Thursday. Mm. And the rest of your plan will be adjusted accounting for that. I love that. Yeah. So that's really important to, we want people to go together. We want people to be together. That's the value that we have to promote in the future is human connection. Mm. And that is something that we really need to use technology to avoid spending time on mundane tasks that can be solved by technology and bring the, the human connection and the human touch at the forefront because that's what's going to help us moving in the right direction as a person, as an athlete, as, as a society. Well said, mate. And, and, and to, you know, we both said at the top of this show how much we both started the sport of triathlon and Ironman because of the people and to be building a tool that that works in a way that's trying to bring people together is, uh, well, fantastic, mate. Well done. Um, very, very cool. I, I, I'm, I want to bring up uh, your new relationship with uh, Human Powered Health. Um, firstly, congratulations. Um, that's massive. And I'd just love to hear your thoughts on, on what that looks like and how you think that's going to sort of shape uh, the future of Human Go. Yeah, so it's, it's, uh, we're super, super excited mm. with, uh, with, with that aspect. Um, but I, I would like to, to add something that maybe will explain a little bit how much of an alignment there is. So when I started, I started with sport. I described my journey. I went really into uh, all this uh, ultra distance and Ironman, and I loved it for the, for the friendship and so on. There was another dimension that came in during that journey. And um, so my dad was born in uh, 1924. And um, in 42, he joined the French battalion to fight the Nazi uh, alongside the American army. So wow. he, he has seen a lot in his life. Um, and when he was 80, we were still playing tennis. And fair enough, I admitted I was not a great player, but he was still giving me hard time playing <laughs> tennis. And at 89, uh, we went skiing together. Um, Wow. And um, and when in '92 we visited London together and we were just walking for hours on end. Um, in '97 he was still spinning on his bike one hour a day. Wow. Um, is wow. getting to '99 uh, this this year and is uh, slowing down uh, uh, quite a bit now. But it gave me this view that besides the the luck at the genetic lottery, he always took good care of himself. And exercise was omnipresent in, in his life. And that really started to fascinate me in terms of what longevity can do and, and more specifically health span. So the mission of, of Humango, maybe from the early days, which was really helping people tra athletes to train, morphed into how can I help people to be healthier? How can I help people to be metabolically fit? Mm. And that's where the connection with, with uh, human powered health is, is there. Because when we met them, it was quite incredible. I mean, they described their mission and vision, and we described our mission and vision, and it was the same. It's how can I help people to be metabolically healthy? That's mm. ultimately the goal that we have. How we can take care of the 50 million plus Americans that are um, sick or, or pre-sickness and that will wait until they are completely sick to start taking drugs to, to uh, fix their problem. And, and it will never fix their problem, obviously, as, as we all know. Where we can take that and from early age start putting them on the right track uh, through exercise, recovery, nutrition, mental well-being, and help people to feel better. And, and as a result, 
just necessarily they will become better people and that will have a huge impact on society at, at large. So that's really the mission and that's where we align with HPH. So when, when HPH, Human Powered Health, offer to, uh, to um, take over the control of, of your mango, I really saw that fantastic opportunity with people like-minded, with the same uh, aspiration uh, to join forces and uh, and be able to build something that will now uh, grow. So uh, mm. we're super excited. It's a big uh, step in the milestone in the in the journey of a startup, mm-hmm. but it is so much more than uh, bringing funding. Is bringing the network, the vision, the aspiration of all these people who are on the same mission as us. And, and joining forces there so it's, it's absolutely fantastic. brilliant uh, i'm super excited for match. you mate massive congrats because i know there's been a lot of work over the last five years to get to this point and to have them you know like you said it's not just the funding but to have people on board with the same passion the same mission the same vision that's that's fantastic um y- y- your team you know, behind every great product is a passionate team. Who, who have been some of the big, uh, the key team members that you've got at Human Go? Because, you know, I know Lance Watson has been an advisor. He's an old friend of mine and, and he, you know, we worked together for many years, well, about 20 years ago now. Uh, Scott Snitzpan, who was uh, the head of high performance for USA Triathlon there for a while. You've got, you've got a pretty outstanding team behind you. Yeah, I, I, got, I got blessed on that uh, as I really along along the path of, of trying this uh, this story building that story and that journey mm. I really met great people I mean uh, yeah on the on the coach side uh, yeah there are some uh, some uh, famous names as you mentioned Lance and Scott definitely was was so helpful to have them guiding us and advising us on, on the path and direction. Mm. Uh, but, but we also have our, our head coaches on the, on the triathlon and, and, uh, and cycling with, uh, Ray Harris and, and, and Pat Bryan, who have been really fantastic, really throwing themselves in the technology, getting exposed to, uh, to things that they probably didn't, didn't yes, dream of. Yes, yes. I love into. it. I love it. Yes. And, uh, and really try to bridge the gap between what they know from, from a coaching science and a coaching art, mm. uh, this relationship with people. And how can we find this, strike the right balance as you ask mm. to keep the human touch while bringing technology to help people. Mm. So that has been really uh, amazing i mean the the development team they they're all passionate uh with the with the product from from trace who've been really uh, working on the on on the ai planner as as a big piece of it i mean abhijit joined us in 19 and and still loyal part of the of the of the team i mean uh, and then Gretel, who has been really my partner, supporting me in the uh, in the ups and downs of the startup, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and helped me keeping faith because uh, that's the toughest part. <laughs> yes. is, Keep pushing him back in the ring. Get back in. <laughs> <laughs> and, yes. um, so she's throwing herself and, and her passion into yeah. into the mission to to work on our growth and and expose your mango to mm-hmm. to all the people who can who can benefit. Mate, I'm I'm so excited for you guys. I really am. I I think uh, everybody listening, you got to go download humango.ai. Go check it out. It's absolutely fantastic. But Bef- before we finish up, um, I'd love to finish uh, each episode with a final three questions. Um, and so I'm going to throw them out to you, and I'd love to just get your thoughts. So the first one, if you could track travel back in time, um, you know, back to being 16, 17, 18, somewhere there. What advice would you give yourself? So if, if I can go back to 12, if, if you allow me to, to, to uh, tweak <laughs> go your, even further. your time machine, <laughs> I, I will tell my 12 years old to get in the pool and learn how to swim because when you're trying to do that at 40, it sucks. Oh, mate, when you said you started the sport, that's why I asked you earlier. I'm like, how old were you? Hang on. Um, you know, my, my, my father-in-law did that. My father-in-law taught himself to, to swim at 45 and he's now 82 and still doing triathlons and loves it dearly. And so look it's yes it's it's hard mate isn't it the swimming one <laughs> i love it that's a really tough one oh uh, uh, you're too funny i love it um all right next one if you could share a meal with any three personalities past or present who would it be and why non non-family but it can be um living or dead yeah 
Yeah, so um, I would say that uh, the, the first one um, I will have I will have a, a dinner with uh, Yuval Harari, and, and that I mean if you if you don't know him, that uh, he's an intellectual and, and historian who spent a, a mm. large part of his time exploring where we are coming from, a great book Homo sapiens, and where we are going and how. Technology, amongst other things, uh, okay. will impact our future. Wow. And, and, and this guy, I mean, I, I found him fascinating, the, the honesty and, and that he is using to approach all of that and the openness. Um, and that really represents my uh, maybe early, early part in life uh, yeah. where I was more focused on the intellectual side of things. What was his name again, Eric? How do you pronounce Yuval it? Arari, Yuval uh, Arari. H-A-R-A-R-I. Okay. And um, Thanks. I mean, he's, he's a great person. I, I will highly recommend 21 Lessons for the 21st Century uh, as, a, as a great book. Perfect. Um, the second one, um, that would be, that would be uh, Peter Atia. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I really, when I started respecting my body and, and starting looking at, at movement, and then I went into nutrition, recovery, I, I read so many things, I... Found in, uh, fall in love with the with his podcast and, and what he's doing there, and I think he's, he's really embodying again here an intellectual honesty, a scientific approach, uh, and and leaving aside the dogma and and how to have a pragmatic approach to mm. to live a better life. I think his, his work's fantastic. His his, his book is, is a great great book that I will also recommend to everyone to to read. So I would love to to have a chance to have a dinner with Peter. Uh, I, and, I, I, uh, I'm going to interrupt here. I don't. You have to be so close to you guys are in the same field. Actually, one of my very closest friends, no relationship, and he's been on this show, Dr. Luke Bennett. Looks like he's um, potentially going to start working with, with Peter later this year on some projects. And I, I think what you're doing at Human Go and what Peter Atier is doing, there's so many crossovers. That'd be fast. I, I, I think that dinner is going to be more like a dinner going, all right, how do we work together on? <laughs> so I, I think uh, you put it out in the universe. I'm helping spread it out further. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Let's make it happen, mate. Um, and all right, one more. You got one more. One more. So the one more will be will be the spiritual side. So mm-hmm. I would like to have dinner with the Dalai Lama, uh, and and I think he's also coming with a very scientific approach and a, and a certain uh, element of curiosity and simplicity that are, are truly inspirational. So I'm I'm a great fan. Uh, I read most of his book as well. And, uh, and I think it's a source of inspiration. That's probably a, a longer stretch. Yeah, no, <laughs> but that... To, to have a dinner with the Dalai Lama, and he probably has many, many other things to deal with. Well, well, well it's maybe, a dream, so... Well, hopefully we can make it a long dinner too. We'll start at midday so you have plenty of time. <laughs> because there's, there's a lot to unpack with those three. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's a great dinner, mate. I, I love it. All right, final one. If we, if we fast forward um, five years... Where do you sort of envision yourself um, first and foremost, and then I, I, you know, human go? Yeah. So one thing that I learned through that journey is to um, try to spend most of my time projecting in the present rather than in the future. I like that. And, and for the first time in my life, I will say, since I started that journey, I'm right there where I, I would like to be. Uh, before it was always projecting and trying, yeah, maybe I should do this, I should do that, or maybe in five years I can be this, or I can be that. Um, but now it's just that I'm enjoying where I am today. And I think that that's what I learned. I mean, trying to do my best for what I'm doing right now is, is just going to put on me on a path that I don't know what it is, but I, I will trust life to 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 make it uh, an interesting one. So I love that. I, I will, I will escape that question in a way I would like in five years to be in the present, um, being the present in five years, not the present of today. Mm. And I just don't know what it is. And I'm okay with that. You know what, you know, what's fascinating about that answer. And I love it is, um, you know, every morning I practice gratitude. I talk about it a lot on the podcast and, uh, it's, it's very simple, but I, but I, you know, spend five minutes on gratitude and, and then I always spend another minute or two on sort of uh, visions and, and manifesting visions. And, um, and I go to vision five years. And I, when I vision it, I say, okay, it's 2028. 
and I'm Greg Bennett of 2028 and what does it look like? And I quite often step back going, I'm really thrilled to be present where I am today. And if tw- five years from now can even look similar to today, I'm, I'm in a good place. And it's kind of like this, I've always had big ambitions and thri- you know, striving to be the biggest, you know, best athlete in the world or the best podcaster or the biggest tech company. Or the, and you get to the point of going, actually, all I want is control of my time. I want to own my time more than anything else because I realize that's the number one commodity in the world. It's not money. It's not fame. It's not anything. It's time. And then I want my health and my family. And when you start, and if I've already got those now, you start to go, huh, all of a sudden my goals change dramatically. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so yeah. So I, so I, lo- I love your honesty on that one because I think you and I are very much on the same page. Um, hey, are you up for finishing with some rapid fire questions? Test those fast twitch fibers of yours. Let's give it a try. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. This is going to push the clock back. First job. Can you remember your first job? Yes, my first job. I was working on an open market, uh, helping my uncle in Switzerland and uh, serving customers with salad and uh, peach. And it was a fantastic experience. Oh, good man. I love it. Early bird or night owl? Definitely night owl. Really? <laughs> I, w- I wake up in the middle of, of the night where all my energy is there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. I try to be early bird. But not, not great for the <laughs> early morning swim squads. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here we go. Favorite book you've read this year? You sound like you're a book reader, but. Oh, now you're putting a challenge with, with this year. Um, no, so you don't have I'll- to do this year. You can do any book. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's okay. Um, I will. I will say um, that going on the spiritual path, uh, why Buddhism is true, uh, which is a very non-religious approach of Buddhism, looking at how uh, scientific progress are, are showing that some of the fundamental concepts uh, in, in Buddhism are actually very interesting uh, uh, approach of how people can feel better with themselves. Mm. So I love the book. I really love the book. It was, uh, it was a big, big moment for me. Uh, and it's, again, I'm just uh, warning everybody. It's not really about religion. It's really about just looking yeah, at yeah. some of the practice in, in Buddhism um, and, and how they've been correlated with, with science. Oh, I love that. I'll go check it out. All right, an easy one. What decade of music is the best? <laughs> you picked the wrong guy to ask that question. <laughs> I, will, I will go back in time and I will say Zigan Jazz is probably my favorite. So that's going to probably put us in the 60s. Nice. It was very live. <laughs> I love it, mate. I think you're one of my first guests that's picked the 60s, but I love the 60s. So well done. All right. One tech gadget you can't live without. Uh, <laughs> One tech gadget. Um, I, I, I really get uh, get fun of my wiring. I have to say um, mm. it has been uh, really helping. Although sometimes it's feeling weird, but <laughs> yeah. most of the time it's really helping yeah, uh, yeah. me to to stay to stay on track and, and listen to my body. So and Humango is reading those data, by the way. So I can read that through. Perfect. <laughs> I love it. All right, greatest movie of all time. Well. Um, that's a tough one. Okay. Um, I, will, I will throw uh, Brazil uh, from Terry Gilliam. Uh, so it was this dystopia. Uh, was, the movie was from the 80s. Mm. And uh, it was describing this dystopia where a guy was basically living in his dream. And I think it's an interesting, uh, I mean, contrast because I'm so much in technology. And this one is describing a world where technology is... Both very, very old style, but at the same time, very frightening. And, and I think that we just have to keep our eyes open. I mean, ultimately, what we need mm. to do is to continue to evolve as individual and as, as a species in, in the right path and not just try to just make things easier with technology. Easy is not always <laughs> the mm. right answer. Uh, Sometimes uh, it is not aligned with our core values. But. No, good point. I like that. All right, two most used apps on your phone besides Human Go. Oh, um, 
I will definitely say WhatsApp uh, is is going to go already. Communication, people, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, I am ashamed to say that uh, I'm addicted to uh, uh, the news feed. Uh, so Google News is probably one of the most used app mm. on my phone. Uh, and that's yeah. There you uh, go. Sometimes I, I think I need to I need to uh, grow out of it. But um. now you know what. You, you, I turned off the news about 20 years ago, um, but now I, I just uh, I subscribe to a couple of um, you know finance emails in the morning or whatever, and I kind of get my news through finance in a way that now I'm not I don't feel like I'm getting swayed by anybody. I'm just getting pure facts of where's the money going. <laughs> That's how I learn my news. It's <laughs> a good one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, last question: If you weren't in the tech industry, what would you be doing? Oh, uh, my dream was to be a mountain guide. Nice. Uh, Very cool. People, uh, I, I really tried at some point. Yeah. I even started the, the training for it, but yeah. this never, never really happened. So Yeah, yeah. Well, mate, Eric, this has been just an absolute pleasure um, getting to know you, getting to discuss Human Go and the technology all around that, and uh, especially AI and your insights onto that. So I truly appreciate you uh, coming on the show and just sharing so much of your wisdom and knowledge I'm truly excited um, for where you're going with Human Go. I think it's very exciting, um, you know, and having somebody like Human Powered Health behind you, I think it's uh, tremendous to see. Um, so, mate, thanks again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. All right. For everybody listening, you can find all the show notes at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. And please go check out humango.ai. You can get, download that on um, – that's on uh, Apple and Google, uh, Android, right? Correct, yeah. Correct, yeah. It's so, also on the web if you want to. Oh, it's on the web too. On, on, oh. on, a, on a browser, on your computer, you can also do that at app.humango.ai. Perfect, perfect. That'll all be in the show notes as well. Um, but Eric, thanks again, mate. Stay on the line. I truly appreciate you, buddy. 